0: I previewed my big hot take for tomorrow night. I, you know, I, I like to, um, what's the, what's the right word? Like when, when movies do premieres or like they do like a test audience, they they show them like a test audience to get like the reaction of how people feel about it and, and how people are going to react to it and what the response is going to be. So in the, in the bullpen, the back room here at the station, I sought out my test audience, which included, I'm, I'm putting a lot of trust in. And Jake Volnick, who's doing the 2020s tonight, because he was back there when we were having this conversation, and I'm trusting him not to reveal what it is before tomorrow. But I, I tested it on him. I tested it on James Bridges, who was here basically just to say hi. Some sort of scheduling overlap, scheduling snafu, brought both Jake Volnick and James Bridges here. And so when I found out that James wasn't working tomorrow, I was like, okay, well, here I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a tease. Of my hot take for tomorrow. And I want to see how you react. And James... I always forget that James is older than me. He's, sometimes I feel like James is younger than me. And I, I think I also throw people off. Like I, The other day, I heard Nick talking about how... We host the Sons of the Shoe podcast together. Follow it. Like, subscribe. Wherever you get your podcast. And he mentioned that he tells... When he's talking about our podcast with other people, he says... Yeah, I host the podcast with this kid, Spencer. And then he has to realize, like, I'm not actually a kid. I'm a grown-ass man, which is very true. Listen, I will never complain. This is very side story now. I will never complain about people thinking I'm younger than I am. So when I get the people who are like, oh, I thought you were – was it you the other day, Jax?
1: Yeah, it was me. Yeah. That, that
0: You said you thought I was, like, in my, my, my mid-20s? First time I met you, I <laughs> thought you were the same age as me. I will never complain about people saying stuff like that to me. Who would? Who would? The idea that people think I'm still in my mid-twenties, partying it up, maybe still single, don't have a kid at home. That is an old version of me that no longer exists, but it was a fun time of my life, yes. Um, But yeah, I am very much married, have a child, a house, all those life things. So I will never complain about people thinking I'm younger than I am, but I always forget that James is older than me. And when I gave him my hot take, it kind of made sense where he was coming from, because he definitely represents a time of fan. And again, you're going to have to listen tomorrow to get the full understanding of where he was coming from. But he represents a what used to be sort of generation when it comes to this specific topic that I'm going to get into tomorrow on Hot Take Friday. And so I could understand why he was so defensive about it.
1: James is definitely driving in his car right now, just shaking his head because <laughs> you're making him sound like he's 70.
0: No, I don't. Okay, that you know what? That's right. I, I didn't mean to make James sound like he's, he's some old man showing up to work with a cane or anything like that. But I think that a younger generation of fan will understand my perspective of where I'm coming from when I reveal this hot take tomorrow because I, I just think the way that sports are consumed today has impacted this thing that I'm going to talk about. I'm I'm sure James is super pissed right now. He's going to probably text me during the break and say something. But, James, you know I love you. Um, I just thought your perspective on the take was interesting. And I'm sure he'll call tomorrow and we'll have have a little rebuttal. We'll go back and forth. We'll make a fun thing out of it. It should be a fun time. But that is tomorrow's show. I'm not going to reveal anything other than that mini story that I just told you here tonight about Hot Take Friday. I'm still sort of workshopping a couple other Hot takes that I will I will have at your disposal tomorrow night. But in the meantime, we have five hours to get through tonight and it should be a fun five hours. Spencer Davies, Cavs inside are gonna join us at eight, about an hour from now, as we uh, we talk a bunch of Cavs tonight. I also I heard Lima on afternoon drive mention this has been the quietest we've heard anybody in regards to the Guardians this offseason um in years. And I think he's probably right, but I'm going to try to get the conversation rolling a little bit here when I welcome in Al Pulowski in the 9 o'clock hour on the day that most the the, the good portion of the rest of the players reported to spring training, I felt like it was appropriate. Baseball is right around the corner. I know this town loves baseball once it kind of gets rolling in it. The Guardians especially are playing well. So I wanted to at least have a little bit of a conversation about it. That doesn't mean we're going to spend hours on it tonight. But a segment or two I think is fair, especially after we talk to Al. So that should all be a lot of fun. Very much looking forward to it. In the meantime, though, with the Cavs, I always hate saying it's the first half of the season because it's not really the first half of the season. We're well beyond the first half of the season. But the the portion of the season pre-All-Star break, with that part of the schedule in the books for Cleveland, I think we're all sort of this the All-Star break sort of offers us an opportunity to reflect on where this team is at and what we know about them and just how we feel about them in general, right? So I think given how they were playing sort of over the last month since the, really since the new year there's a lot to be optimistic about. There's a lot to feel good about, but I understand as I as I brought it the other night that there's still some hesitancy from people in terms of where this team is at and if they're going to actually show up in the playoffs this time around or if it's just going to be a repeat of last year with the Knicks series where they get pushed around and bullied and, and it's just it's just an ugly affair and you lose in five games. And I understand why people are holding out. I got to say, though, like we're, people tried to use the two games this week where you lose the 76ers without Joel Embiid and... A, a lackluster, if you will, win over the Chicago Bulls uh, last night as almost a barometer for where for, for how how we really should like the truth about this team. That's what I'm trying to say. They tried to make that the definitive answer of well, these two games last this this week tell us the story of who this team is, and I'm just not there. I think we try to treat basketball or we want to treat basketball in the NBA season at large like it's football. What I mean by that is football is such a, it's the cliche saying, but it, it's such a week-to-week league. And we think that every week we know the the story of who a team, or what a team is, right? And, and Kevin Stefanski had the line this year. He used it a couple times during press conferences that, you know, four games was a small sample size or 12 games is actually a small sample size. You know, some levels he's right. We do overreact, I think, on a weekly basis to, to each and every single game in the NFL. But that's also part of what makes the NFL and the discussion around the NFL such a fun thing is that we love to get into these debates about, okay, is this team now fraudulent because they lost this game? Against a team that they're supposed to be inferior then. Two one six, four seven, four, double ninety two. Even though really, sometimes it's just that the old saying, the old cliche saying as well that at any given Sunday. Sometimes you just have a bad game like the Browns against the Texans and you lose. It happens. It is what it is. That's football. It's part of the beauty of football. But the difference is with football, we have the luxury of because you only have seventeen games and it's one game a week you can spend a whole week being hyper-focused on that thing and that result and the breaking down of the tape and little intricacies or nuance that you noticed about a team's game plan and what it means for the coach or the players or whatever. And in the NBA, it's not so, it's not that simple. It's never as simple as one game or two games tells the entire story of what a team is or isn't for that matter. And so because there's a lot of people who are just waiting for the 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 inevitable exit in the playoffs whenever it comes and I'm sure there's a lot of people jaded enough as we talked about the other night who are thinking, well, they're going to lose in the first round again because they're just not tough enough or they're just not ready for the moment or Donovan Mitchell's just not good on that stage. XYZ name your reasons why or ABC name your reasons why. I think that it's it's not so clear. So I think that people are watching those games this week and they're just basically just having confirmation bias. They're just watching these games and saying, well, see, this is what I've been talking about. This is why I don't trust this team. But I don't even necessarily think that that should be... Like, we can't... Every time the teams takes a step forward, we can't let one or two games, because they didn't play their best after a streak where they were playing really good basketball... That that's the that all of a sudden now we we can can confirm our biggest fears that uh, this team is what the same as they were a year ago. I can't do that. I got to look big picture with this team, and I got to use the context of the entire season as my sort of reasoning why I think things could go or should go differently this year in in the postseason and just in general for this team. I could be wrong. It could backfire. Maybe a Tiger doesn't change his stripes, and we're going to be stuck asking the same questions about this team. And that is the big point I want to get to here next, especially on the heels of what Brad Doherty was talking about on Afternoon Drive today, which will play that audio clip. But as I look at the season as a whole, I see changes that have been made, and I see a point being made to not suffer the same fate that the team did a year ago. They changed the way that they play. They added some guys in the offseason that are supposed to bring this sort of veteran mentality and prowess to the lineup. Guys that have played with Donovan Mitchell before, so they kind of know what makes him tick. They know where he likes the ball. They know some of these different things, the nuances of basketball, if you will. That's all supposed to help this team have a different outcome this time around. And because of all those factors, I'm not just going to sit here and say, okay. They're they're screwed again. It's a first-round exit. They're not good enough. The one question I still have some doubts about, though, is the toughness thing. That is maybe the biggest question mark holding me back from full-fledged believing, as I talked about with Ken on Friday last week when he asked, like, what is your expectation for this team? Because he was ready to go and say conference championship game. And... The one thing that worries me is the toughness aspect. Because sometimes I wonder if toughness is something that really is it can be developed over time. And especially it feels like within a year span, that doesn't seem so simple. Or if toughness is just if you're not tough, you're not tough. That's one of the biggest questions as as you wonder about the this this team and where it's headed, that this that they're gonna have to respond to and answer those questions come playoff time, is whether or not they are tough enough and ready for that stage um, when we get there. I thought Brad Doherty had some interesting things to say when he was on Afternoon Drive today, which we'll play the clip here when we get back, about toughness and what it actually means. And I think it's the thing that we really need to evaluate the most with this team. Are the additions of Max Struess and George Niang and just the style they're playing with Enough to convince you that they are tough enough. 216 474 92. We'll keep the conversation going next. Again, Spencer Davies set to join us in about 45 minutes. We'll ask him about the toughness of this team. We'll ask him about the All Star break. We'll ask him about my take from the other night that the Shaq Orlando jersey is a better jersey than the Shaq Lakers jersey. I got to get it. I, 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 we talk about confirmation bias. I'm looking for confirmation bias all around on that. We'll do all that. Plenty to come. First 15 minutes of Five hours together on ninety two to the fan. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin, Spencer German filling in for JP. In the meantime, 216 double ninety two. If you want to jump in at Spencito underscore on Twitter, we're talking about the Cavs, and I, I I understand why some people felt like the last two games for Cleveland was some sort of step backwards, maybe or just confirmation that they're they're they're. Still they're still the team that's going to get bounced in the first round, and they're not tough enough, and they're losing games they shouldn't. And I, I, I understand why we want to jump to those conclusions. I just think it's they deserve the benefit of the doubt right now because they're trying to do some things differently. And if you look big picture at this season, I mean, things could have gotten derailed back in December, and they stayed afloat. Like I think it takes some level of toughness to do what they did and not fold in. The, the 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 like fold up shop and and, and go home when and start planning for Can, their trips to cancun when Evan Mobley and Darius Garland were out for over a month they didn't do it they found a way to keep winning found a way to sort of reinvent themselves and i because of that i'm i'm willing to accept that i i think this is a different Cavs team and not just because the last two games maybe didn't go the way you wanted leading up to the All Star break, just assume that it means they're destined for the same fate. Two one six four seven four double nine two. Now, the one thing that I do think is worth discussing here about the identity of this team revolves around their toughness as a group, because that's the one thing that. There's a lot of skills in sports that are teachable and that you can develop over time. Like Evan Mobley shooting threes, if he does it more and more, he'll get more comfortable with it. And it might become a legitimate part of his arsenal, even if he's only shooting like 34%. If he's at least somewhat of a threat out there, teams are going to have to respect it, right? So that's something that's teachable. I don't know if toughness is teachable. And I think what you saw from the Cavs in the offseason was we're gonna go get guys who are going to almost give us add to that as part of our identity, make us tougher physically um, in being able to when we get to the playoffs not wilt under the pressure. Right, guys with experience, guys who have been there. Max Strus, for example, just coming off a finals run, multiple runs, uh, deep playoff runs with the Miami Heat. Like he's been there, he's done that. He brings some of that juice. That this team was looking for some of that physical, tough identity that the the uh, Cavaliers were looking for, and they made a point in that. I don't know if that rubs off on on a team. I don't know if just by default, because you had the playoff experience you had last year, that's instantly going to make this team tougher. I hope it does. I, I I think it it's possible, but I also wonder if that's just part of who you are. If if you're not tough enough, you're not tough enough. And I, 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 that's the one thing I keep finding myself not wanting to sort of fall for or fall into a, a situation that comes back to bite me in the butt because I believe they're tougher, and then the same exact thing plays out. Again, trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here, but I get why that's a concern. And I, I think that's something they tried to prioritize in the moves that they made and the way that they're playing, the style of basketball they're playing as well. Brad Doherty was on afternoon drive. He talked about this aspect of toughness in uh, great detail, among other things. I thought it was an excellent interview uh, with with uh, Daryl and Nick today in general. So be sure to go back, use the rewind feature, go find it. But I, I wanted to play at least this clip because as we asked this question about toughness, I thought he had some good perspective as to how toughness can evolve over time and, that, and the difference that he's seen with the
2: Cavaliers this year. When you're talking tough, I think you got to really, really make sure that people understand what you're talking about. I mean, toughness is not about knocking a guy down or cheap shotting a guy. Toughness is about executing, and that's where the mental part—the mental toughness—becomes more important than the physical toughness. You know, people sat and watched us play against New York last year, and you know, they're like, "Well, Robinson knocked our guys around. He got all those offensive rebounds, blah blah blah." That all happened because we didn't execute. The lights were too bright, and we were hesitant, and we were in between. Toughness is about being able to execute under pressure. That's what being tough is all about, and that's where we're working towards. I don't ever like to hear guys talk about and stuff proclaim themselves as being tough. So if you're doing that, then there's a problem. What you want to see is guys go out and actually do it, and have the execution, have the discipline when things are going south, to make the right play. You know, And sometimes the right play doesn't always work out, but you make the right play. I do see that getting better and becoming more dense as far as being tough enough to succeed in the postseason. The postseason about half-court basketball, uh, like we learned last year. You know, the freedom of movement is restricted. The game is called a little bit differently. And so you've got to score in that 15-, 18-foot area, sometimes in that 10-foot area consistently. And we just did not do that last year. And we got our tails kicked on the backboard. And that's just a pride thing. So uh, I'm expecting much more out of this young basketball team as we go into the playoffs this year. I think our fans are going to be very, very proud of this team when we get to the playoffs this year.
0: So, uh, again, so much good stuff from Brad Doherty. Uh, I th- he was fantastic, and I thought that clip was one of the highlights of the entire interview, just him talking about play- the playoffs and just what toughness actually means. And the version of toughness that he describes, which isn't this, okay, you're going to go out and knock somebody out, like Isaiah Stewart is caught up in right now, right? It, that, that's, that's not what I think any of us means when we talk about toughness on the radio or just in general the mental side of it is what we're looking for which is why that's so well said by Brad Doherty because he kind of puts it in he gives words and actual he he explains it in such a nice way like he gives a definition of what we're talking about that sometimes is something that's hard to explain cuz you know it when you see it but you don't always know how to describe it and it is the mental aspect of it it's it's it's, it's uh, Jared Allen saying that the lights were too bright last year and can he reconcile with that this time around and realize, okay, it's not just another game, but I'm going to treat it like just another game. And now I know what I got to do in these situations. I got to make the right decisions, and I can't let the moment be too big. And that type of toughness, by the way, that is something that you can develop over time. I mean, we saw LeBron go through that evolution as a player, where his his early years with the Cavs. Yes, he gets to a finals in in 2007, right? And he gets beat by a team that A was just better, but B was more mentally tough and more prepared for that moment cuz they'd been there before with Manu Ginobili and and Tony Parker and and um Duncan, like th- they had this they had that physical toughness and the Cavs just didn't. And then LeBron leaves, he goes to Miami. And the first year, perfect example of a guy who just mentally wasn't tough already for that moment. I mean, all of us in Cleveland hung on every game of that finals against the Mavs because we wanted to see LeBron lose and falter and kind of be able to laugh at his expense, right? Well, he did. And as we talk about LeBron's legacy, we go back and we use that as a game where it's like, okay, this was a game where he was one of the biggest reasons why they lost not one of the reasons why they they he, he wasn't helping them win games that year. And it felt like the pressure of the moma got to him. It felt like the pressure of being a villain got to him. Wasn't really a good role for him to play as we quickly learned out uh, learned about uh LeBron in general and I think it still isn't a role that he likes to play. So and then that gets parlayed into the next year. He is more prepared and he beats the thunder. Then they get redemption on the Spurs that that next year with the th- in large part thanks to Ray Allen, but they still get a they still get a win against the Spurs and kind of redeem themselves from that early loss against them in uh, when he was with Cleveland. Then they lose one of the Spurs. Then he goes back to Cleveland. He wins one against the Warriors. And even among like in, within the context of that series, you're down three one against the greatest regular season team of all time. You saw a team that got mentally tougher because. The Warriors, during that span, they were such a juggernaut that they would just wear you down. I mean, I remember the third quarters they would play at the peak of their powers where they'd come out of the gate, out of the out of the break, and they would just demoralize you, hit a bunch of shots, hit a bunch of threes, build a big lead, and you were like, well, damn, what am I supposed to do now? They would just step on your throat and suck all the will out of you. And the Cavs found a way to stay tough despite being down 3-1 and feeling like they had seeming like they had no shot they battled back and won that series so the mentally tough aspect of it yes that is something that can be developed over time from the experience that the playoffs gives you were they bad last year absolutely you have to hope that the calluses from that from those moments have left an impact that allows them to bring a different perspective sort of to the table next year or not next year, but this year when the playoffs finally arrive and that the additions of guys like Max Struess, guys like George Niang, um, that, that, that the impact of those guys gives you something you were lacking last year and helps with that toughness piece because they're guys that have experienced it and been there before, and they can kind of instruct some of these younger guys, hey, here's what you got to do, here's where you need to be, and they kind of figure this thing out together. But again, as as much as I also think last night, as we point to just these last two games, because that seems to be the thing everyone's hanging on right now as you go to the All-Star break, I think last night was an example of that mental toughness kind of showing Last two games, they haven't shot well from three. But you know what? They battled back in 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 back in to that game and really in back-to-back games. And I know I can't be sitting here putting – if I'm going to tell you guys not to put a lot of stock in one or two games, I can't also put a lot of stock in it in, in terms of the argument I'm trying to make here. But I do think that you still see in these games remnants of the team that was just coasting and winning 15 of 16 and 18 of 19. Like – that's the team that you're looking for. That's that's not going to quit, even on an off night. Because those are going to happen. Even in April, and in, in the playoffs, they're going to happen. How do you adjust? How do you react? That's the stuff that Brad uh, Doherty's talking about, and that's the stuff that was missing last year. Big picture, I think this team deserves the benefit of the doubt. But how worried are you going into the All-Star break about some of those bad tendencies from a year ago, rearing their ugly head especially after the last two games or are you not at all 216-474-0092 uh we got a lot of stuff to get to and we got Spencer Davies set to join us at eight o'clock we'll have some Browns here to talk about we'll have some Guardians as I mentioned without Pulowski set to join us when we get back though I'll take your calls, check Twitter on if you guys have any responses to the Cavaliers conversation here as well. But I've never felt more seen than I did from the morning show this morning in a conversation they were having about Valentine's Day flowers. We'll play the audio. We'll talk about it next. That'll lead us nicely into our good friend Spencer Davies who joins us at the top of the hour. Keep it locked. It's Spencer German with you on The Fan. The last two games worry you at all in regards to the Cavaliers leading into the All-Star break. I'm not sweating it. I'm not. I think they're in a good spot. I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And uh, like like Brad already said, the mental toughness thing I think is is a work in progress. But I do think it's coming along, and it's part of the entire season picture here for this team, which is why in the first segment I mentioned, like we try to treat the NBA sometimes like the NFL, where we want every game to reveal something new to us about this team. Where We're like, this clearly gives us a, this is, this is who this team really is. And especially when we have doubts about them, we think that it gives us all the answers and that one or two games that don't go right. or, shows bad habits or something from last year, just confirms what we've been thinking already. It's it's confirmation bias that, yeah, this is, this is just who this team is. But in actuality, guys, the NBA is an 82-game season. And it takes a lot more than just one or two games here or there to tell us the whole story. I do think, and I've mentioned this already before, I do think the stretch coming up in March where – You're going to get tested against some of the better teams in the NBA. Like, this feels like a stretch that's really going to prepare you for the playoffs, even though it's still, you know, it's the regular season and it's not. You're getting everybody's best shot for seven games where they're really scheming against you or you're really scheming against them. But you get the Knicks and the Celtics early March and two games in three days. You get the Timberwolves March 8th. You get the Suns March 11th. You get the Pacers on the 18th, the Heat on the 20th, the was again on the 22nd, the Heat again on the 24th. Like you're playing these teams that are all vying for playoff spots. You get the Nuggets in late March. You get the Suns again. Uh, you get the Clippers on the road. You get the Lakers on the road. You get the Pacers. Again. Like this is a stretch down the, down the towards the tail end of the season. You might get the Sixers with Joel Embiid in late March again that I think will be able to give us a better picture about this team in general as we look for again those indicators of what this team really is, if they wilt and they falter and they and they stink, yeah, we can revisit the conversation. But if they're if they're still playing well and they're showing a lot of the same tendencies and things that we've seen of late, I think there's reason to feel good about it. And based off what Brad Do- uh, Brad Doherty was saying with just the mental toughness side of it, that's a that's a process and it is something that can be developed. We, I guess we clearly don't know that they're there yet. And we probably won't be able to officially say that until the playoffs. But I'm I'm trusting my eyes here and I'm trusting what I'm seeing that a team that could have been just down and out after the injuries to Garland and Mobley has stuck it out. And with those guys back in, they've rattled off a couple nice little win streaks here early to start the year. And that they can continue that down the down the home stretch here when, when they get through the All-Star break. Let's go to the phones. You got Larry... And Larry, uh, Larry, what's
3: going on, man? Hey, how's it going, Spencer? Uh, great subject. Um, well, first I want to say, Spencer, what Coach death fell into, it's a good thing. It really is. The, the spread and defensive play, but to me, Spencer, if, if the playoff start today, what I'm going to do to the Cavaliers, I'm going to basically blitz Diamond. I'm going to be taking him away and force the other guys to beat yeah. me. That's, that's what it's going to come down to. And one more thing, I'll let you go, Spencer. Say for exams, I'm Dom, your general manager. You're going to sign me to a max contract, correct? The big money, okay? Sorry, what you who, who did you say again? Basically, Dom, I'm, I'm Dom, your general manager, Kobe. Okay. I want to stay here, be here, but you got to sign me to max money, correct? Some big money coming up, right? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, now you got a member, too, Spencer. Evan, he's going to get paid, too. The way Jared's playing right now, also he's gonna get paid. the you to talk about uh, Darius's money. Went to over forty-four million dollars coming up. So I'm gonna ask you though, Spencer, if I do his contract, stay here in Cleveland, and the money everybody's getting paid, how are you gonna improve the roster then?
0: Um, I, sorry, I was looking up during when you said that because I was gonna say Jared Allen is he still has a couple years left on his deal, so I don't think okay. they're as worried about him. Um, but yeah, obviously if Donovan gets signed, that sort of prohibits you from doing some other stuff in free agency. But I, I, I think at some point, Larry, I don't know that this team, like the one thing I will say about this team is I think they're well, they're better equipped to, to make a deeper run this year and, and have better success. But I don't know Mm -hmm. that they're a final product championship winning team yet. And I do think when push comes to shove, like if they re-sign Donovan and we get another year or two down the line, you're in like the last year of Jared Allen's contract, whatever. They're gonna have to ultimately trade probably one of these big assets right. that they have, along with once they can once they have picks that they can trade again. Because right now they can't trade the first pick; they can trade again is like 2029 right. or whatever it is. Right. Um, right. They're gonna ha- then they can sort of rethink things. But obviously, step number one is convincing Donovan that he should stay here, right. and that's that that comes with what you do in the playoffs.
3: But what should happen, is, Spencer? That's why right, we're back to the playoffs. If they don't do well this year, I can't see him stay. I really can't. I hope he does. Yeah. But from the standpoint of his vision, what he sees, trying to improve the roster went better, it's gonna to be tough to sell, man. Yeah.
0: I get it. I, I I think uh Larry, I appreciate the call as always. Um it is gonna be sort of a, a it is going to be Again, it all just depends on where they go in the playoffs. And to convince him to stay you got to be able to show progress and basically sell him on the idea that this team can win and you're going to keep trying to improve every single year you can around him to get to that point. Cavs okay, can do that. I think he resigns. I actually think there's a better chance he resigns than people are even giving him credit for because nowadays, with the power that players have in the NBA, you can get out at any time. It doesn't matter if you resign or not or you're in a contract. Look what Kevin Durant did. He signed a max extension and then, uh, less than a year later, he was forcing his way out of Brooklyn, or, or getting put, forced out of Brooklyn to go to go to Phoenix. So, it's possible. There is there's always when the players hold the power like the way they do in the NBA. You're th- there's always room for them to sort of demand a trade or force their way out or whatever and get what they want while still getting the max money that they should and and filling things out in the process. Now, Donovan. He doesn't seem to like to make things as messy as maybe uh maybe KD did in that instance. I don't even know that it was fully KD, it was a lot more just Kyrie and they had to move on from him. And then once they moved on from Kyrie, KD didn't really want to stay, but you know, if if push comes to shove and he really feels like he should be end, he should end up somewhere else because he wants to pursue a title and he doesn't think it's going to be here, then he can he obviously has the option to do that. Cuz that's the other thing. People keep looking at the Knicks and saying, "Well, he wants to go to the Knicks." I don't know that the Knicks even make full sense for Donovan. That's still sort of a touch and go subject. I like he has to fit there too, and they have to want him. It's not as clear as and, and obvious as maybe people think, just because he likes New York. All right, leave that there for now. We will get back to Cavs basketball here when we talk to Spencer Davies in about ten minutes. But I want to play this clip for the morning show because I got to tell you guys. I have never felt more seen by Ken or JP than I did during this conversation about buying flowers for Valentine's Day, which I already set the record straight on on Tuesday. Worst holiday in the calendar year. But here's what they had to say about buying flowers.
4: So I went and I bought the flowers yesterday. And I always feel weird buying the flowers on... It's almost like I'm robbing the giant eagle when I go and get the flowers. I'm, okay, I mean, I'll need an explanation because well, I've never
1: you just grab them and run out the door without paying. <laughs> no, <laughs> all okay, of a then you're fine. He turns then, into
4: the, the town. So it's, it's as fast as I <laughs> possibly. It's as fast as I possibly can go. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get flowers and I'll get a card. And I got a funny card this time. Usually I get these dramatic cards and I write out this big thing and I go, let's switch it up this year. Let's get a funny one. And so I got this one. It was like, if I could love you, any if loving you was a crime, throw my ass in jail. And it was this donkey and it would make a noise and stuff like that. When you open it up, it was great. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's funny. I'll do that. So at least I had fun with that. But I had to go get the flowers. And I mean, it is because you just it feels I don't know, Jonathan, it feels cliche. Which oh, so I don't want to feel, feel. Okay. Yeah, but I'm like, when else are you supposed to get flowers, dude? No. Like, when I, are you supposed to get them? Because they're supposed to be fresh. So
1: I, I used to have a problem with this. If I bought flowers that weren't Valentine's Day, I always thought that the the cashier would think that, oh boy, this guy really messed up. Like this guy, this guy, what a mistake. Really? Yeah, I used to have a problem with it. I'd be like, I'm I, I, I clearly am buying that. flowers. I, I'm in the doghouse. Why else
4: would I be, you know, buying flowers? See, I've picked up stuff and I go, oh, I'm gonna get some flowers. No, be nice but,
1: for, but you'd be surprised though. They they, just, they give you really nice reactions to it. I think I think the I think they lean towards if you're buying flowers, you're all right. Something happened. You're doing you're you're at least doing it. You're you're not, not buying flowers, right? Which no, is man. a good I, deal. Like, yeah, right. Like you're at least, there's an attempt there, even even if you did mess up, but I'm not saying anyone did. But like I think they give you the benefit of the doubt. And I, I I've noticed when I buy flowers in non-Valentine's Day moments. They give me good looks as if, like, oh, yeah, this, this guy's this, that's, it's a good guy right That's here. what I did.
4: Because I, like, if I like if Liz is like, can you stop here and get this, this, and this? And I stop into the Eagle and I go and I'm like, well, I'll get some flowers. It's like June 14th. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I, you know, just, hey, any idiot can give flowers on Valentine's Day. I'm giving flowers on June 14th. Look at me. I'm that's better right. than all you guys. That's Flag Day. That's what I, th- is it really? I think so.
0: <laughs> oh, I love the fact that he randomly picked June 14th and he. Apparently it's flag day, which it is flag day. Um, But no, guys, I have thought both of these things when buying flowers on either of those occasions. Like if I'm buying flowers on Valentine's Day, I'm worried that I'm just a walking cliche because I try really hard, especially when in my younger years, to not be just a walking cliche of a significant other for somebody. Like I want to go above and beyond on other days. I want to surprise you with flowers on the day's that are Valentine's Day to show that I really care because as my I made my point the other night. Valentine's Day being the worst holiday of the year, you should be able to show your significant other that you care the rest of the year and not just make it about one day where you're spending all this money and all the other BS that comes with it. But I've also had the same thought JP had that he kind of debunked when he said, usually you get the nice looks from people and the nice interactions from people when you buy it any other day. I've had the same thought on any other day where I buy flowers where it's like, oh, this guy must be in the doghouse. That's the thought that I think is going to go through people's minds. But I do think JP's right. I have gotten over that fear because I do think generally the reactions you get from buying flowers on a random day, not June 14th, I'll just say my wife and I's anniversary is June 2nd. So if I buy flowers on June 2nd for our anniversary, the reactions that you get are usually more Oh, that's so nice. Somebody's very lucky like you get the people who think it's just like the sweetest thing ever and that's obviously the payoff that you're looking for. I will say there's another thing that uh you that especially males would be buying that you also worry about the uh the reactions cuz when you buy stuff like this and you guys know what I'm talking about, okay? When you're trying to have a nice little evening with a lady, you might go purchase a, something, a, little, a specific something-something to make sure that uh, you're not making any other versions of yourselves. And when you go buy those, that's another time, especially when I was younger, where you were, I was always deathly afraid of the interactions. I'll tell you, the best thing ever invented is the self-checkout. Because you don't have to worry about anything, whether it's flowers, whether it's that other thing I was talking about. You don't have to worry about no stress over any of the, what people are going to say when you're in line doing the self-checkout. Because it's only you and your thoughts. Nobody else knows. Best thing ever invented. You don't get judged for buying any items in the store anymore. So thank you, whoever invented self-checkout. But I, that was always another one. when, I, when I'd always wonder, like, oh, what is, somebody's going to make some joke oh, you look like you got a good night on your hand, like something stupid, and I'm just going to be so annoyed. Like, you're just, really, you're really just drawing attention to this. Not that you should be embarrassed by any of these things. It's just funny how our minds work sometimes. All right, let's take a break. When we get back, Spencer Davies, Cavs insider, joins us. As we talk about the Cavs, we'll talk about the toughness of the Cavs. We'll also talk about the All-Star break, which is coming up this weekend. Uh, or All-Star weekend, I should say. All that and more coming your way next on 92 Through the Fan.